Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 10. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 10. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, and for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What we're going to do tonight is take the time to really break this down. And I can't wait to get, to, to get into this, because as I said before we started our recording, very few people have ever had anyone teach on the Millennial Kingdom. And we're going to spend at least two, if not most likely three weeks, just looking at the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, because there's so much in Scripture that actually talks about it. As you've heard me say throughout this study, that there uh, probably almost 80% of Christendom doesn't believe in a literal coming back of Jesus to this earth to rule and reign for a thousand years. Only probably about 20% of Christians really think that there's a literal coming of Jesus to this earth as a millennial kingdom. And what I hope to be used of God to do in this study as we look at this tonight is to show you that the Scripture has been talking about this all along. And actually, the Bible talks a lot about the millennial kingdom People have just misunderstood it, but hopefully by God's grace, we'll be able to start to see it come alive. And I can't wait. By the end of the study tonight, hopefully you're going to be like I was as I was putting it together going, wow, 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 look at this, look at this, look at this. Now for that to happen, i got to stop talking and start showing you what God has to say. So go to verse 7. It says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now what we're going to do right now is we're going to talk a little bit about the, the marriage ceremony. A Hebrew marriage ceremony actually had three phases. The first phase was the betrothal phase, in which the bride was purchased. She wasn't then married to the husband yet. It was just what we would call an engagement. But if you remember from your study of the story of Jesus and his birth and how Mary and Joseph had been betrothed to each other, they were in a, a very binding legal engagement. If you remember to look, and we're not going to take the time to turn there, but if you were to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, it said that they had been betrothed to each other, but before they had come together sexually, they had not had the marriage ceremony itself yet. And you're going to see that in part two of the marriage ceremony. They hadn't had the marriage ceremony. He finds out that she's pregnant. Of course, we know it's from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't at the time. And what does he want to do? He decides to divorce her. Quietly. Now, that's very important that you keep this in mind, because in our days, when we have an engagement, if we break an engagement, there's no divorce proceedings. But back in that day, the marriage ceremony had three parts. And the first part, the betrothal, was very, very serious. And the first part was when the bride was purchased. Once the bride was purchased and the agreed price was agreed upon and was made, the groom then went back to his father's place to make ready the wedding preparations. Okay, so you have the first part where the bride is purchased, the agreed purchase price is made, and then she's purchased. She's to make herself ready. He's to go off and prepare a place. And then the second phase will come in just a second when he comes back to get her. But I want to just show you a couple of passages that talk about this first phase. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> 
Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Or sorry, if it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Here we see the betrothal, and then he's going to go make a ready of the preparations, and I'll come back and take you to be with me. In 2 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. You see, Paul was writing to the church. And again, as you hopefully understand, when we become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we also become the what of Christ? The bride of Christ. We've been betrothed to him. Have we had the marriage ceremony yet? Not yet. He's gone to prepare a place for us, but he's going to come back and take us to be with him. So we'll be where he is. We have been betrothed. The purchase, by the way, does anybody know what the purchase price? I hope everybody in this room knows what the purchase price was. His own life. He bought us with his own blood. Was the Bible, done, the Bible teach us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. You've been purchased. You have been betrothed to Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I want to present you as a pure virgin to him when he comes. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32. As Paul is talking about wives and husbands, he starts to open up the fact that this is a lot deeper than just husbands and wives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So as he's talking about husbands and wives and their intimate relationship, he says, I'm using another picture here about Christ and his church because actually this husband-wife relationship is a picture of Christ and his church. Hopefully you understand that you have been bought with a price. You have been betrothed to him. He has gone prepare a place and he's coming back to get us one day. Uh, that is, by the way, the first part of the marriage ceremony was the betrothal. Then the groom goes away. The second part is when he comes back to get his bride and he takes her to be with him. And they have a, listen closely, a private marriage ceremony. The party hasn't happened just yet. Actually, in, in, in our culture, the, everybody's invited to the marriage ceremony and everybody watches them become husband and wife. But in the Jewish way, it wasn't that, done that way. They were betrothed. The groom leaves the bride. He goes and makes ready. When his father says that the preparations are all in order, he comes back and he takes her to be with him. And they go away to a little private ceremony where they are married and they consummate the marriage. After the private ceremony is when they come back to what we know now is from the scriptures is the third part of the ceremony, which is the marriage supper or the feast. And everybody's invited to that party or that celebration. All right. So we'll go to First Thessalonians chapter four. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verses 13 through 18. 
Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. In other words, Christians who have already died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words." And here we see a picture of what we know now as the rapture and the fact that when Jesus comes to gather his bride, remember John 14, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms. When I'm going to prepare a place and hopefully you understand he prepared it by his death on the cross. He's not up there swinging a hammer and a saw. For too many people say it took him six days to make the world. He's been working on my place in heaven for 2000. No, 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 no. <laughs> his way to prepare a way for us was through the cross. When he made this statement, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he was on the way to the cross. That's how he's prepared the place. He's not up in heaven working with spackle and paint. As much as Duke wants me to paint in heaven, it ain't happening. <laughs> Jesus, when he finished his making a way on the cross, the Bible says he went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. But what did he say? He said, in my Father's house are many rooms, mansions, if your translation says that. I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's presence. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. The context is the presence of the Father. And that's the rapture of the church. And here we get some more information. Paul says there's going to become a day when, when he comes, all those who have already died, who have gone to be with the Lord, you understand absent from the body is present with the Lord. Those who are in Christ are with him. They're going to come with him. Their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. We who are alive are going to be caught up. We're going to go be with the Lord. We're going to meet him in the clouds and we're going to go meet him. And you're going to see that the rapture is different from the second coming. And we'll see that later on as we get a little closer to the end of our study, most likely tonight. But I want you to keep in mind that the Bible is very, very clear that the Hebrew marriage ceremony had three parts. The betrothal, purchase the bride. He then goes away to make, away, make ready for the marriage. He then comes and gets his bride. That hasn't happened yet. Takes her for a private ceremony where they, have, they consummate it. And then the third part, which is the marriage supper or the marriage feast. All right. Now, look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 12. I believe the Bible teaches us that the marriage feast is going to be the millennial kingdom. I think that the whole thousand years of the marriage feast is going to be the millennial kingdom. Actually, if you did a study on this, you'll find that sometimes these feasts would last for weeks, depending on how wealthy the, the father of the, of the groom was or the groom was, depending on how much, until the food ran out. Food's not going to run out. And I think the, the whole millennial kingdom is going to be this marriage feast. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 12. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham. 
Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now again, don't let kingdom of heaven fool you. Because remember, Matthew describes the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven. Because Matthew was writing to the Jews. And the Jews would never say the word God or the name God. So all the time that Matthew talks about the kingdom of God, he calls it the kingdom of heaven because the Jews would have revolted if he had called it the kingdom of God, even though Jesus himself called it the kingdom of God over and over and over. So here we see that Jesus says, when he sees the faith of this Gentile, I'm going to tell you something about the kingdom. There's actually going to be people from the east and the west, all the other nations who are going to come and sit at the table in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, just as a quick little commercial, if you go back and do a study, you'll see that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they were going to receive the land. He says, and we'll do that study later on, but I'm just going to give you a little head start on this. He said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. But the Bible clearly shows us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never received the land, did they? They died all not having received what was promised, it says in Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says that they were strangers and sojourners. When Abraham's wife Sarah died, he had to purchase a piece of property in the land of Israel to bury her because he didn't own, the land was never given to them in their lifetime. If there is no literal millennial kingdom on this earth, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will never receive the promise that God said, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. And then God broke a promise. Oh, by the way, has anybody ever noticed that in the Beatitudes... Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. earth. Folks, let me tell you, the millennial kingdom is literal. And as we begin to look into this, you're going to see that it's very, very clear that it has to happen on this earth with Jesus. Now, I'm going to now go down a road that some of you may be surprised at. I think that the Bible teaches that the bride of Christ is made up of not just the church, but also Israel. And I'm going to take the time to lay this all out for you. I believe that the bride of Christ is made up of both the church and Israel. There's a difference between Israel and the church. And the Bible is very, very clear about that. But there are also a lot of similarities between the two. And when we go back to Revelation chapter 19, I think when it says here in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. I think that this marriage is not the marriage of us, the church, because I think this will have already occurred. I think the Bible teaches very clearly that the rapture of the church comes before the tribulation period. We'll be snatched away for a private ceremony and then we'll come back with Him when He sets up His kingdom on the earth. But as you're about to see tonight, and I hope the Spirit of God opens your eyes to this, The nation of Israel is also going to be a part of the bride. There's going to be a marriage ceremony of Israel as well when he comes back to the earth and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And wait till you see how the scripture makes this so very, very clear. So let's just begin with Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 verses 1 through 8. Israel has been described in scripture as being married to God already. In a few places, very clearly, the scripture teaches that at one time, Israel was God's wife, his bride. Israel chapter 54, look at verses 1 through 8. It says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Did you catch that? Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtain of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. 
For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and people, and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood, and you, sorry, the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your what? Husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Is Jesus talking to the church here or Israel? How can you tell? You're right, it's Israel, but how can you tell? Because he's never deserted us. He's never forsaken us. The Bible says once we enter into that relationship in the new covenant, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. When he's speaking here to the one who was the wife of, his, of their youth, he's talking to Israel. You were my wife. I was your husband. But because of your, as you're going to see in our study tonight, because of your idolatry, because of your, 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 your sinfulness and your rejection of me, I rejected you for a time, but I'm going to gather you back. I'm going to gather you back. Go with me to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 40. Jeremiah chapter 31, look at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with who? the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their what? I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Keep reading. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that it waves, its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is, its na is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off the all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall re re be, re be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther straight to the hill Garib, and then shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes of all the fields as far as the brook Kidron and to the corner of the horse gate to the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. And here again, we see God make this promise. And I love the fact that at the beginning of this section, he says, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I'm so glad he did that because so many people try to say, well, Israel's now the church. And you can take a couple of verses where Paul talks about the fact that not all who were, you know, genetically Israel are Israel, but those who are of faith are Israel. And that's true. We have been grafted in. We have been given salvation by faith like Abraham was given. But he's not just talking about those who are of Israel. He says, I'm going to make a covenant with the house of Israel 
and the house of Judah. Two reasons why. One, if you remember the history of the nation of Israel, they at a certain time split into two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. The northern kingdom went into idolatry before Judah did, but then later on Judah followed as well. But God says, I'm going to, in the last days, make a new covenant with Israel and Judah. Folks, this isn't talking about the church. Oh, we've been given this new covenant already through Jesus Christ. But if you remember, and hopefully we'll see this by the time we get there tonight, that God's using us to what? Make Israel jealous. And he is going to fulfill. And I believe the Bible teaches us very clearly that at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back, the marriage of the Lamb will happen. It's already happened for us in the private ceremony. We come back with him. He then marries or remarries Israel. Has anybody ever read the book of Hosea? We're going to actually look at a couple of passages in it tonight. But let me just give you an overview of the book of Hosea. God tells the prophet Hosea, I want you to go take a woman who's not a very clean woman and not a very faithful woman. I want you to go marry a prostitute. Her name's Gomer. And Hosea goes and he marries Gomer. And then Gomer cheats on him. And he has to divorce her. And then God tells Hosea, now go buy her back. After she's been running around with all these other men, go buy her back and remarry her. And it's a picture of what God was going to do with the nation of Israel. So I believe without question, and if you look later on, you're going to see in the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down is the bride, a picture of the bride of Christ. What does the Bible say? That its gates are the 12 apostles. I'm oh, sorry, the, the 12 um, tribes of Israel and also the 12, tri 12 apostles. It's a made up of the church and Israel. I believe that the bride of Christ ultimately will be all the believers, the church, nation of Israel, tribulation saints, all of them, that God, they will become the bride. Right now, the bride is the church. He's going to come and snatch us away, and then he's going to come back with us for the marriage feast. But when he comes back at the marriage feast, there's going to be another marriage ceremony where he remarries Israel. And wait until you start to see how the Bible's been saying this all along. Because of Israel's unfaithfulness in worshiping other gods, he gave her a certificate of divorce. He had already been her husband. She was the wife of his youth, but she was unfaithful. So he gave her a certificate of divorce. Go to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. In Jeremiah chapter 3, starting in verse 6, The Lord said to me, In the days of King Josiah... Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore? And I thought, after she has done all this, she'll return to me, but she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Do you see it? Two different kingdoms. And she saw that for all the adulteries of the faithful one, faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. 
Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and will bring you to Zion." And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and have been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. How many people in Christendom have wasted their time trying to figure out where the Ark is? If they would read their Bibles, they would realize that the new Kingdom, if you will, the millennial kingdom when Jesus comes back is going to be so awesome that Jesus himself is going to be here. And it's going to be to the point that people say, look, we're not even thinking about the ark anymore. Jesus is here. And the scripture says it'll never be made again. So don't waste all your time reading all these different schemes as to where the ark is. All right. Look at verse 17. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, and together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. Did you see it? Again, the scripture is very, very clear that in the last days, he's going to regather Israel and remarry them. He gave her a certificate of divorce for a time. What does the book of Romans say? Israel's experienced a hardening in part until what? The full number of the Gentiles come in and then all Israel that's left will be saved. Go to Ezekiel 23. Ezekiel chapter 23, look at verses 1 through 18. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother, they played the whore in Egypt. They played the whore in their youth. There their breasts were pressed and their virgin bosoms handled. Ahola was the name of the elder and Aholiab the name of her sister. They became mine and they bore sons and daughters. Now as for their names, Ahola is Samaria and Aholiba is Jerusalem. Again, scripture when it uses symbolic language tells us what it symbolizes. Ahola, Samaria, Played the whore while she was mine, and she lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors clothed in purple, governors and commanders, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. She bestowed her whoring upon them, the choicest men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with all the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. She did not give up her whoring that she had begun in Egypt, for in her youth men had lain with her and handled her virgin bosom and poured out their whoring lust upon her. Therefore I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians, after whom she lusted. These uncovered her nakedness, they seized her sons and daughters, and as for her, they killed her with the sword, and she became a byword among women when judgment had been executed on her. Her sister, Oholat Leba, which we know is Jerusalem, saw this, and she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her whoring, which was worse than that of her sister. She lusted after the Assyrians, governors and commanders, warriors clothed in full armor, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And I saw that she was defiled. They both took the same way. 
but she carried her whoring further. She saw men portrayed on the wall, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, wearing belts on their waists and flowing turbans on their heads, all of them having the appearance of officers, a likeness of the Babylonians whose native land was Chaldea. When she saw them, she lusted after them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. And the Babylonians came to her in the bed of love, and they defiled her with their whoring lust. And after she was defiled by them, she turned from them in disgust. When she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her as I had turned in disgust from her sister. Do you see it? The nation of Israel broken into the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah. Northern kingdom Israel became corrupt in their idolatry first, and Judah followed. Here we see the prophecy again showing that even though he was married to them, because of their unfaithfulness, he gave them a written certificate of divorce, and he turned his back on them. Is it forever? No, the Bible's very, very clear. Actually, you're going to see it. God, who is rich in mercy, has promised to bring Israel back as his bride. Can't wait to show it to you now. Here's where it starts to get good. You say, Jim, you told us we we're going to get really excited. That wasn't fun to read. But you needed it to understand the mercy of God and the greatness of God. Go with me to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Let me get one more quick drink here because I had a long passage to read again. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. She, for she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge upon her, or hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain and the wine and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I'll put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. Does that sound familiar to anyone? When's this going to happen? When he takes her into the wilderness? Boy, you don't need me to go all the way back and reteach again. The midpoint of the tri tribulation, Basra. 
the midpoint of the tribulation when they run out into the wilderness and they're protected by God. I'm going to lure her and take her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. In steadfast love and in mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will show her for myself in the land. Sorry, sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Isn't that cool? Israel has every right to be destroyed, just like all the wicked nations. But God has made promises that in the very end, because of his promises to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're going to see in Romans chapter 11, later on in our study, that God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. What he has promised, he will do. But the scripture is very, very clear that Israel has been the bride of God. She was unfaithful. He gave a certificate of divorce to the northern kingdom Israel, and then Judah followed suit, and he turned his back on her as well. But in the last days, she's going to go back to the one who was her first husband. And he says, I'm going to allure her out into the wilderness, and I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And she's going to come back to me. And I'm going to betroth her to me forever. And folks, wait till you see what a celebration that's going to be when the nation of Israel truly comes back to God. When they realize that Jesus is the Messiah. And we get to be a part of that wonderful celebration. We church are a blessed people. We Gentiles who are being saved and the Jews who are being saved as a part of the church are a, are a wonderfully blessed people. But it's not about us. He's just using us as a tool to make Israel jealous because he's had his eye on her all along. And folks, when that day comes and it's coming soon, everybody starts saying, hallelujah, the marriage of the lamb has come. And I think the millennial kingdom is the celebration party marriage feast after that reunion of Jesus and Israel. Isn't that going to be awesome? But there's more. Go to Isaiah 62. Go to Isaiah 62. Isn't it cool when you read the Bible and believe it? <laughs> Instead of trying to figure out what it means. Isaiah 62, look at verses 1 through 5. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name, and the mouth of the Lord will give. That the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. 
But he shall be, but sorry, you shall be called. My delight is in her and your land. There's that term there again, married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Again, written to Israel, folks, a promise for Israel. Go to Romans chapter 11. I've been referring to it over and over. But look closely at what Paul says now here in Romans chapter 11. I'll read the whole, almost the whole chapter for you. Romans chapter 11, 1 through 32. It's interesting. I was talking to one pastor one time about how clear Romans 11 is so that God's not done with Israel. And he looked at me and he said, you're the first person that's ever said Romans 11 was clear. It's like, read it. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not, would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let, the, lest their, let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble, meaning Israel, in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more would their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection, Israel's rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. But they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but fear. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then that the, the, the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. 
As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Folks, do you realize that by the time Jesus reconciles Israel, there'll have been years and years of no temple and no sacrifices and no keeping all the laws and even though they rebuild the temple for a brief period of time, the Antichrist is going to step into it and defile it. And they're going to be for three and a half years hidden out in the wilderness or the ones that are left in Jerusalem, you know, just trying to stay alive. And when Jesus forgives their sin and gives them righteousness, will it be because they were keeping all the laws? He's going to make it almost impossible to keep all the laws because they can't do it. So he'll show them that it's always been by mercy, by grace through faith, just like it is for us. It's always been that way for them. As of right now, the church and Israel are two separate entities. But one day in the future, they both will make up the people considered the bride of Christ. Go with me to Revelation 21, and I want you to see this. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 14. Now here we're seeing John uh, sees the eternal state. This is after the millennial kingdom when he makes the new heaven and the new earth. But I want you to see that the bride is made up at one time in the future of both Israel and the church. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 14. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and its radiance like a most rare jewel. Like jasper, clear as crystal, it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and the gates of twelve, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So here we see in the new Jerusalem that's coming down, and he said, "Let me show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb," and the gates have the 12 tribes of Israel, the foundations have the 12 apostles. Now, I love J. Vernon McGee's stuff, but I heard him just this week say what many people of prophecy people have said for years, that the church is the only one that's the bride. And he said that the, the Jews are allowed to go visit this city, but then they have to go back to their place. Why has God got their name on the gates then? Why is that? My name's on the gate, but I'm not allowed to stay there. No, if we let the scripture speak, yes, there's a distinction between the church and Israel for a time. But after we've been snatched away for a private ceremony and we come back with him, he's going to remarry Israel. And that's why I think at that point, Revelation 19 says, hallelujah, for the marriage of the lamb has come. And he's going to remarry Israel, just like Hosea prophesied. And then the millennial kingdom and the marriage feast is going to begin. The celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb will be so amazing that when John got a glimpse of it, he fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who was showing it to him. Do you see that? Go back to Revelation chapter 19. Look at what happens in verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. 
Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Do you not know that John at this moment knows that the only one to worship is God? Then why does he fall down at the feet of the angel and just start worshiping? By the way, that was a question. <laughs> why do you think he fell down at the feet of the angel to start worshiping when John knows better? He's so overwhelmed when he's given a glimpse of the marriage supper and, and what it's going to be like. He's just so overwhelmed. He just falls down at the feet and starts to worship. The angel says, get up, get up. By the way, this isn't the last time he's going to do it. He's going to do it again in a couple of chapters. When he's shown the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down, it's going to be so amazing. He falls down again and the angel has to remind him, get up. Folks, let me just tell you, what did Paul say in Romans chapter 8, verse 18? He says, I consider that our present suffering are not worth being compared with the glory to be revealed. Folks, we're going through stuff in this life, and I don't want to poo-poo it, but I kind of do. <laughs> Paul said, I've seen it. Now, I'm not allowed to talk about it because I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But I know this guy that was taken up into the third heaven because he's been given such supreme revelations. He was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Now, I'm not allowed to speak about what I saw, but I can tell you this much. Eye is not seen. Ear is not heard. Nor has come into the th mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, but we, he will reveal it to us, the scripture says, because we have the mind of Christ and the spirit of Christ within us. And he'll tell us what is to come. Isn't that what Jesus promised when he talked about the Holy Spirit coming? He says in John chapter 16, verse 12, I have more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, he'll take from what is nine and make it known to you. And he'll show you what is to come. Folks, let me just tell you. There is a time that the Bible all along, and we're going to get into all the prophecies. We haven't even scratched the surface yet. We're just laid out tonight. All we've done is laid out the fact that when this millennial kingdom happens, it's the marriage feast. It's the marriage supper. It's the remarrying of Israel, and we get to be a part of it. Because what did Jesus say? People are going to come from the west and the east and the north and the south, up Gentile nations. And they're going to be able to sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. Folks, aren't you glad you're invited to that party? Amen. I got to be honest with you. I'm not always excited when people invite me to a wedding. <laughs> it costs you money to be invited to a wedding. And I don't like getting dressed up. My wife and kids love to get dressed up. I don't like to get dressed up. And you got to behave yourself at a wedding. I'm not really into being invited. I'm glad I'm invited to this one. You know why? Because you don't have to even deal with the ceremony. You go straight to the food. <laughs> I like that. It, there'll be finger food, fried chicken, and I don't know what it'll be. But the Bible says it's going to be a feast. Now, let me just do something that I don't have in my notes, but I think I've got a couple of seconds to deal with it. Has anybody ever realized how much the Bible talks about fellowship with God and with each other as a feast? Yeah. Revelation chapter, chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever will open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I'm doing radio programs in the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm being reminded as I'm doing that how God kept telling them when they were to bring their feast or bring sorry, their sacrifice in their, to the altar, they were to bring food and to eat it with the Lord. They weren't to just give it. They were to give it. It was sacrificed, cooked, and they eat it before God. The Bible actually says you get a brother who claims to be a Christian, but he's walking in continual disobedience and especially sexual sin. The Bible says don't even eat with him. 
Fellowship is eating. We think fellowship is in church service or maybe on once a month on Sunday night with punch and cookies. No, fellowship's supposed to be happening all the time. Jesus went from party to party to someone's house. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Think about it. And he was talking to him about the kingdom. By the way, for those of you that are still struggling with whether or not this coming kingdom is literal, go to Acts chapter 1 with me real quick. Go to Acts chapter 1. It can't get any more clear than this. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, Luke's writing, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about what? The kingdom of God. All right, listen, Jesus, after he died on the cross, after he rose from the dead, appeared to his disciples many times over 40 days and taught them about the kingdom of God. Go to verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Folks, if the kingdom of God was just some spiritual thing, Jesus has been teaching on it for 40 days. And after teaching, being taught by Jesus, after the death on the cross, after the resurrection, after 40 days of him teaching about the kingdom of God, the Jews still were expecting a literal kingdom on the earth. All he says is, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set. He didn't say, get back in the classroom. You didn't get it. It's a spiritual thing. The kingdom is spirit. No, the kingdom's literal. They even understood that. So, folks, I want to do one thing as we wrap up tonight in the time that we have left. The Jews were invited first to this feast in this kingdom, right? And then the Gentiles. But as we have seen tonight, the Jews will be given... One last opportunity at the end of the tribulation period. What Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and following, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of salvation for who? The Jews first, then the Gentile. In Matthew chapter 22, again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read these to you. If you look at Matthew 22, you'll see in verses 1 through 14, Jesus talks about the wedding feast and how he invited the Jews and they rejected the offer. And he sends his servants out to invite them again, and they say no. And then he says what? Go into the highways and the byways and invite everybody else. Matthew 25. Go to Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, we see, Then the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps, and the bridegroom was, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. 
But he answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for you don't know, you don't know neither the day nor the hour. Again, speaking to Israel. Remember, Jesus was talking to the Jews. When I come back, you either need to be ready and watching, or you'll be left out. Only the righteous believing Jews will be able to enter the millennial kingdom. And only the righteous believing Gentiles will be able to enter the millennial kingdom. In Ezekiel 20, I want you to see this real quick. Ezekiel 20, verses 33 through 34. Ezekiel 20, starting in verse 33. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. Again, talking to Israel. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm I, and wrath poured out. I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord your God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. As for you, the house of Israel, thus says the Lord your God, go serve every one of you his idols now and hereafter, if you will not listen to me. But my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there, shall, there all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require your contributions and the choices of your gifts, and with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations." And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves. And you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So what he said, he's going to, when he comes back, he's going to gather the nation of Israel and he's going to have them all pass under the rod. And the righteous will be allowed in. The unrighteous will be rejected. By the way, there's also going to be a judgment of the nation of Israel. And you've heard me talk about, I'm sorry, about the, other, the Gentile nations. Just like there's going to be one for the nation of Israel, there's going to be one for the Gentile nations. Write this down, look at it later on, we'll deal with it more next week. But in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he said he's going to gather all the nations, Joel 3, 1 through 3, in the valley of Jehoshaphat, and he's going to judge them according to how they treated Israel. Plain and simple. Can't be any more clear. And if you parallel that with Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, what we know is the parable of the sheep and the goats. It says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, He's going to sit on His throne. That's going to be on the earth. Because He's coming and sitting on His throne. He's not going and sitting on His throne. He's coming and sitting on His throne. And all the nations will be gathered, and I'm going to separate the nations, the Gentiles, as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And the ones who... We're good to these brothers of mine. What does Joel chapter 3 say who the brothers are? Israel. I'll say to you, come into the kingdom. For those who weren't good toward Israel, they go to weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's going to be a time at the end when he comes, and he's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous in Israel, and the righteous from the unrighteous in the Gentile nations. And like we've been looking at tonight, 
when he comes back and does all that. Remember, that's the tricky part of, of doing chronological study of Revelation. A lot of stuff all happens at once. But when he does, he's going to remarry Israel, the ones that are left, the righteous, the elect, the ones chosen by grace. And he's going to remarry them, and he's going to be their king forever and ever. Now, I'm going to close tonight with a small word of caution. Look at the reaction of the angel to when John falls at his feet to worship him. What does the angel say? Get up. Don't worship me. And he points him back to God. The angel is just the messenger, right? The angel is just simply a messenger. He's the servant of God. So it is with us. The Bible says that we not, are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought either. Just share what God showed you. And one of the biggest problems in Christendom is we want to have a higher role. We want to move up the ladder. I deal with that with I deal with churches. And especially one of the problems I've seen in a lot of churches today is guys who are gifted and called by God to be an associate pastor for the rest of their lives. The church keeps pressuring them. When are you going to be senior pastor? They just assume that it's like the rest of the world and you're going to go up the ladder and work your way up. Make a name for yourself. Folks, the Bible says that he gave some five, others two, other one, each according to their ability. And we need to also be careful of, well, I like so-and-so's teaching better. They're just servants. I'm just a servant. We need to be real careful. The purpose of prophecy, though, according to Revelation chapter 19 Verse 10, look at, look at the, what's the pur purpose of prophecy. It says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The purpose of prophecy is to point people to who? Yeah. Don't get more excited about figuring out prophecy than seeing who it's all pointing to. I'm going to say it again. Don't get more excited about figuring out prophecy than seeing who it's all pointing to. For me, the deeper I've gotten into this and the more that God's opened my eyes to see how it all comes together, the more I've come to realize, man, Jesus is awesome. Because <laughs> you read about that whoredom stuff that Israel was doing, and such were some of us. Oh, I've never done that kind of a... Um, have you ever put your faith in anything else but God? Well, of course. Well, the Bible calls that idolatry. It calls that sexual immorality. Because he's to be the only one. Folks... We're all by His grace. Israel will be saved by His grace. And it's a wonderful thing. There's only one who's deserving of all the glory and the worship, and it all points to Him. And so I'm excited about what God's showing us. It's kind of cool how it's getting clearer. Can't wait to begin to show you. The Bible actually describes not only what's going to happen in the Millennial Kingdom, what it's going to be like. It actually tells us where the actual boundaries of the land are going to be. Where do you see that? It's going to blow your mind. The Bible talks a ton about the Millennial Kingdom. All we did tonight was just look at the prophecies that talked about it on the fact that they were his bride, he divorced them, but he's going to remarry them. Do you realize everything we've done tonight, that's all that we talked about, the millennial kingdom so far? We hadn't even looked at the ones that describe it. So, come back next week, but come with an attitude that says, Lord, I believe it literally, but may it point me even closer to you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you later.